The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, today on the Chorus Network, another edition of Alberta Matters. Uh, and today, a controversial topic to some. Others, really just thankful that the option is there. Assisted dying became legal in Canada on June 17, 2016, when new legislation was put in place. Now, since then, in Alberta, 775 people have chosen that option to end their life, 283 of them in Edmonton. Here's Brianna Carson-Smith. Since medical assistance in dying or made was introduced in June 2016, 775 people have used it in Alberta. 283 of those were in Edmonton, but there are challenges. Shauna Scott's father wanted to have a medically assisted death after being diagnosed with a rare and aggressive cancer at 83. He went to the U of A, but Scott says nurses and doctors didn't know how to proceed. When it was sorted five days later, it was too late and her father was no longer able to give consent. He died soon after. I remember sitting there, looking at him, lying in this hospital bed, and I thought, this is the last thing that he wanted to happen. The lead for Made in Alberta says the problem isn't in facilities, but in misinformation. According to Alberta Health Services, hospitals aren't the first place patients should go. Instead, they're encouraged to go online or call 811. Brianna Carson-Smith, Global News. So as you've heard, there are still some challenges. So as we examine how far we've come with assisted death, we're joined by Brad Peter, the director of uh, Dying with Dignity Canada and coordinator of the Edmonton chapter. Nice to join. Nice to have you in, in studio this Thank afternoon. Thank you for having me. Now, when you listen to that report and you hear, you know, what happened uh, in that case, I suspect that you're hearing more than one case like that. Well, one of the challenges with this issue is that we certainly don't expect people who have a hard time through this process to then be able to turn into advocates mm-hmm. right away. I mean, you're losing your loved ones and you're grieving. So I really commend the family for coming forward with this information because, like you said, I don't think this is necessarily an isolated case. And I think this particular instance highlights a lot of the challenges that still exist with MAID. Brad, when did you get involved or why did you get involved? So I became involved in about 2012 and I became involved because I watched my grandmother die in Edmonton uh, in the general hospital and I recognized that it was prolonged and involved a lot of suffering that I don't think she would have chosen if she had a different option. So I've been involved with the issue from before legislation was available, from when it was, we were kind of treated like fringe activists Mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. were asking for um, something impossible. So I've really seen uh, the landscape change with how we talk about end of life care and medical aid in dying. Um, So I've been involved for a number of years now and seen the challenges that we still face with with this issue. So Chad, as you're listening to this conversation today, I urge you to weigh in uh, at 6.30, 6.30 and, and let me know. Um, we'll, we'll have open uh, line time after the 2.30 news, but if you've had an experience and you want to share it uh, with us, you can text me at 6.30, 6.30, or you can wait until we have a conversation on the phone a little bit later on, but want to know what your thoughts are on this. I, um, I, am, a, I am a supporter of uh, assisted dying and um, 
Um, it, it was recently driven home for me, uh, a friend of mine, um, a fellow who I had dated for quite a, a long time during the 90s, uh, diagnosed with ALS. And um, he had a seven-year struggle with, with that horrific disease and uh, recently, uh, just recently passed away. And I can remember him telling me, saying, you know what, Jay, uh, I wish I had thought this you know, through further, you know, that sort of stuff, you know, before I lost the use of my arms, all of that, you know, instead of dragging it out um, and, 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 I mean, he did, and he lived with he lived with grace and courage for seven years with that disease. But I think when you look back on it, um, from all accounts, he would have changed his mind if he had a little bit more support, a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more education. And and Brad, is that an area when it comes to education on this? Is that somewhere where we're really still lacking? I think it's one of the most important pieces. Uh, I'd be interested to hear from your listeners if there's anyone today who didn't even know that it was available. Mm -hmm. uh, I still hear from folks saying, oh, I wish that was legal in Canada. And um, so there needs to be a lot more education because um, when you find yourself in a situation where you might need to avail yourself of this legislation, um, you're in a very difficult time. So it's nice to be prepared and maybe understand the process and your options a little bit. There seems to still be some confusion on top of, you know, maybe not even knowing about it, but then the confusion is okay, well, where do I even start with this? Um, and, you know, um, AHLS uh, does have a website and it does kind of go through all sorts of steps. And there's a number of different um, questions and answers that you can uh, you can get on it if you go to medical assistance in dying uh, at AHS. Um, you know, they talk about, you know, maybe you start thinking about it. And then you're contemplating it a little bit more. And then you've made the decision. Okay, so now you've made the decision. Where do you start? Is that starting with, you know, talking to your family? Is it starting with going to this website? Is it starting talking to your doctor? What are you hearing? Um, is, is that, a, is that a con an area of confusion as well? If this is a decision that you feel is important to have with your family or with your physician, then we encourage people to have those open conversations about dying because I think that's part of the issue mm -hmm. is that um, we're already entrenched in a culture that doesn't like to talk about death. <laughs> and so absolutely open those conversations. Um, I think it's important if you're considering this to talk with your family doctor about about your options. Um, even going through a process of being assessed and approved for medical aid and dying doesn't mean you have to follow through with it. Um, and in some cases, I think a lot of people appreciate this option because it, it gives them peace of mind knowing that down the road they might have an option to help alleviate their suffering. So um, it's really important to open those conversations around death and dying and of course to have those conversations with your family physician. The, the language certainly has changed over the past uh, number of years from assisted suicide to um, uh, even assisted dying. I know you're calling it medical aid in dying and is that what is kind of the 
So, yeah, that's a great question. The language has changed over the years from um, language that was really loaded in terms of it used to be called by some euthanasia or assisted mm-hmm. suicide. And now we find that there are still folks who use that language, but often it's in almost a pejorative sense um, because they're opposed to mm. this legislation. So currently, and in the federal legislation, it's referred to as medical aid in dying. When it um, comes to controversy, I remember you know having this conversation what way back uh, in uh, you know around June seventeenth, twenty sixteen, and in, in the uh, the months, even the year leading up to that, or actually for the years leading up to that, it seemed incredibly controversial at the time, um, and there was a lot of um, there there seemed to be a lot of opposition from a number of uh, you know people, individuals, and and groups. Am I? Am I wrong that it seems to have um, simmered down, or is it still there? Well, for a very long time, there's been overwhelming support from Canadians on this issue. And I think this happens with a lot of issues where the public is ready for change, but leadership isn't necessarily ready to take that leap. Mm. So actually, for a long time, you know, over 80% of Canadians have supported this. Of course, there's always been a very vocal opposition Mm -hmm. to it. Um, But I also think the way that it's framed now, especially in media, um, once it was entrenched in law, once it became a human right, then it was no longer really framed as a debate. Mm-hmm. It was more so about how can we improve on this mm-hmm. uh, issue and how can we address the challenges? You know what, Brad? Someone just texted in and said, you know, no, it's suicide. And, and you know, I, I'm suspecting that you still have those groups out there that say, no, it's, it's, it's wrong. And, you know, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm on the thing. It's, it's my life. And if I know and I have the... Um, opportunity to end my life with some dignity rather than, you know, suffering through a long drawn out um, diagnosis or treatment or, or um, uh, disease. And if I have that option, then I would like to know that it's there. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know that it's there. I'm not saying that you're going to use it or whatever, but to me, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, yeah. And I think people need to remember that this is not the first time in Canada that we're allowed to make life and death decisions in about healthcare. So we've all always had, or not always, but for a long time, we've had the ability to withdraw life-saving treatment, to refuse life-saving treatment, to uh, request terminal sedation, to request starvation and dehydration. So, you know, if someone is in hospital and they are dying of cancer, they're grievously and irremediably ill, and they choose to not pursue further treatment, mm-hmm. I would not say that that person ended their life by suicide. There, There is a connotation to that. Yeah. Um, so I think we need to respect people's choices. At yeah, and, and that is, you know, again, the more whatever, you know, saying it's evil and it's immoral. Well, no, that's not evil and, and immoral. It's a decision. It's mm-hmm. a decision that an adult made. Yeah, and, and medical aid and dying, really, if you look at it in the context of all the other life and death decisions we can make, it's an extension of that autonomy we have over healthcare. So this is just a natural extension of the decisions we're already allowed to make. So um, I think it's it's unfortunate that people have decided that that's where they draw the line in the sand. So. Uh, Brad Peter joining me in studio this afternoon, Director of uh, Dying with Dignity Canada. We're talking this afternoon, Alberta Matters, how far we've come with assisted death. We'll continue that conversation right after this. 
How far we've come with assisted death. Joining me this afternoon, Brad Peter, the director of Dying with Dignity Canada and coordinator of the Edmonton chapter. We just got into, uh, we covered a lot of topics here right during the break and some of them will want to get to them with you. Um, what does it take to initiate a request and what are the requirements? So we're very lucky in Alberta. It's it's should be a simple process. You can actually call HealthLink. It should be a simple process. You're suggesting it's yeah, not at times. I mean, we've we've heard of situations where there are hiccups and maybe people aren't as informed as they should be about the process. But you can call HealthLink and they will know to connect you with the central coordination team to get you started in that, mm-hmm. in that process. So phoning HealthLink is probably the simplest way to do that. Um, There are certain requirements you have to meet. For example, in Canada, you have to be over 18. You have to have a grievous and irremediable medical condition, illness or disease or disability. Um, And the federal legislation says that actually your natural death has to be reasonably foreseeable, which is a statement that we have some, uh, some issue with because everyone's natural death is reasonably foreseeable to some degree so in some ways it's a bit nonsensical and so that's also been a bit of a hang-up with the legislation but there are there are requirements that you have to meet but if you can call HealthLink and and ask those questions then you will be put in touch with the folks who can help give you those assessments and I was uh, I was uh, under the assumption that you had to be able to administer um, the, me- the the drugs yourself. Um, maybe I watched that in a movie. Maybe I read that a long time ago. I'm not sure what it was, but is that the truth? A lot of people think that because that is the model that exists in Oregon, and there's been a lot of coverage okay. of what happens in Oregon, uh, where you you are prescribed a life-ending medication. But actually, in Canada, you have both options of taking a life-ending medication or having a physician or nurse practitioner administer a medication. So actually in Canada, both options are available, but almost every case has chosen to have a physician or nurse practitioner administer it as opposed to uh, consuming that medication yourself. Does a doctor or a nurse practitioner have to do it? Do they have the choice? Are there doctors and nurses and hospitals that will say no to this? Yeah, so physicians and nurse practitioners have the right to conscientious objection. Um, And of course, they should with any Mm -hmm. um, procedure. But um, luckily in Alberta, there's a process to make sure that you are put, um, put in touch with the right people who will be able to help you. Um, there was a challenge in town recently, wasn't there, with one of some of the hospitals in confusion or transferring? Well, th- I, there have been a few challenges. Yeah. Um, one of the big challenges with hospitals is that a lot of our publicly funded religious hospitals, like the Covenant Health System, don't allow for the provision of medical aid and dying on their premises. Mm. So if you're in one of their institutions, say the Grey Nuns or the General mm. or St. Joe's, and you have opted to receive medical aid and dying, then you're actually transferred out of that facility mm. to receive medical aid and dying. From our perspective, that's really sad because for a lot of people, that, that is their home. Mm-hmm. They have been in those institutions for a long time. They know their care teams. And it's really sad that in their final moments, they're transferred to an unfamiliar place to receive medical aid and dying. Do you, and you can do it in your home as well, can't yes. you? It doesn't have to be done in a hospital. Exactly. You can choose to, you can essentially choose where it happens. Um, so if your home is somewhere you would like to receive that, then the care team will make sure that that happens. Brad Peter joining me in studio this afternoon. Um, if if you're diagnosed with, a, I don't know, a stage four cancer of some sort and it appears that, you know, 
it's imminent and you turn out to be maybe one of those miracle stories and 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 turn around and and survive that round of it but you've 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 gone through the process you're 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 looking at it you've talked to people maybe you've even received the um you've received the the medication um what happens at that point it's the does the medication does the 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 prescription run out is there a time frame on that once you've been assessed and approved for medically and dying it's really up to you when you choose to avail yourself of that. So becoming assessed and approved doesn't send you down a path that you can't get away from. So I think that's important to know, but what if you are uh, diagnosed with a condition that is very severe and might mean that your death is imminent, there is actually built into the legislation a 10-day waiting period. And that's something that a lot of people are surprised by. When we talk with individuals who are pursuing medical aid and dying and we say, Art, do you understand that 10 clear days have to pass between this request and you being able to receive made. For a lot of people, that is surprising. Mm. Um, it is important to note, though, if you speak with your physician about that, if your care team agrees that you do not have 10 clear days, then there is a process where that can be waived. So in terms of length of time, um, you have all the time you need to make that decision, but there is this built-in waiting period. Brad, getting lots of questions about uh, dementia, about Alzheimer's patients, and about um, you know those folks being able to access medical uh, aid in dying. What does that look like right now? Currently, you cannot make a request in advance. So we have the ability to write advanced directives mm-hmm. to make decisions about our care um, in the event that we aren't able to... Um, to confirm those decisions. So currently you cannot make a request for medical aid and dying in advance. This is really sad, especially for people who have already been assessed and approved for medical aid and dying. So let's say you made the request because you have a terminal brain cancer, um, but that cancer might cause you to lose your competency at some Mm -hmm. point. You are then burdened with the decision of when do I avail myself of MAID? Do I do it too early because I'm scared to lose competency? Or do I wait too long and then lose the option of having MAID entirely? Because the competency aspect in this is huge, isn't it? So then you have to be assessed to be competent that you know what you are doing, right? Up until the final moments, yeah, you have to be able to consent to medical aid and dying. So that is really unfortunate. And so our organization has um, has been fighting for something called Audrey's Amendment. And that's Audrey was someone who had terminal brain cancer or who had cancer in her brain and uh, chose to receive MAID earlier than she would have liked to because she was scared she was going to lose competency. Mm. So we're asking the government to at least allow for individuals who have been already assessed and approved for MAID, if they lose competency uh, at a later date, that they can still avail themselves of that legislation. A number of people are asking about life insurance policies. Right. So that was an issue that um, was raised quite a bit in the lead up to building the legislation. And from what I understand, the um, government and the provinces have done a a good job of making sure that there's no issues with if you've chosen to receive MAID, um, that you no longer receive your life insurance policies. Of course, check your policies. Yes. Um, But I haven't heard of any uh, issues with that, actually. All righty. You know what, Brad? I want to appreciate I want to just say thank you so much for coming. 
coming in and talking about this. So getting there, but the education part still a big one. If this is something that, you know, I, I always think that conversations around this are important, as awkward as they are. Conversations about death and dying are tough ones to have. Palliative care, um, you know, something like medical aid in, in dying, they're tough to have, but they're important conversations, especially if it's something that you think that you um, may want to do um, somewhere down the line. So have those conversations. Again, the HS website has some good information as well. The uh, Dying with Dignity chapter right here in Edmonton, the website. So you can go to dyingwithdignity.ca and the local chapter meets uh, once every two months. So if you want to have those conversations with um, a nice group of people, then that's a great place to start. Thank you for this. Thank you.